Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Anne Whitney Pierce, author of the new novel, Down to the River. Author Tom Parada said about the novel, Down to the River is a deeply absorbing family saga that unfolds in the vicinity of Harvard Square during the turbulence of the late 60s and early 70s. Anne Whitney Pierce captures those vanished days, the collapse of the old order, the sexual experimentation, the hovering threat of the war in Vietnam, the uneasy sense that anything might be possible with uncanny precision and an empathy that does justice to both sides of the generation gap. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, Down to the River, how would you describe the novel? Uh, well, you did a little bit in your intro, but basically it's a, a family saga set in the late 60s, uh, which is when I came of age in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, it was quite a time, as people either know from experience or having read, uh, and it was um, quite a place, uh, living as I do uh, right near Harvard Square and MIT and all of the other universities, and it was kind of a hotbed of activity then. And um, I chose to tell uh, the story mainly through the lenses of these two teenage kids who are first cousins. It's a little bit tricky when you have your protagonists be teenagers because that turns some people just don't get past that. They think, oh, this, I don't want to read about teenagers, or, you know, it's a young adult novel, which it is not. Um, but I thought this was the point of view that I wanted to get across. Here were kids who had basically been born in the 50s and started their lives in a very sort of, you know, um, 50s type way with everything sort of calm and <clears throat> peaceful uh, in terms of the social, political, and cultural world. And then sort of this sudden and abrupt upheaval of all that they had once known and uh, throw on top of that uh, a kind of a, 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 a switch, I would say, in the style of parenting to a, a way more laissez-faire type of deal where, you know, you suddenly sort of realized, well, nobody, you know, nobody's, not that they didn't care, but they weren't sort of taking care of you in the same way or guiding you or imposing rules. And it's like a sort of a double take. You look around the room and say, well, <laughs> what's going on? There's nobody telling me I can't do this. So guess what? I'm going to go do it. <laughs> Um, so it follows these kids and, and, and it's not just the kid's point of view. It's a, it's a, you know, a third person narrative. So you do get the viewpoints of the parents and the older siblings who sort of have already gone off into the world. So they're in a very different place, but, um, it's through these lenses that I chose to sort of show, uh, everything that happened. I mean, think about the years, these kids who were in high schools, 1967 to 71, and if you look at a timeline of events, you know, that happened in that span of time, it's staggering, you know, what you see in terms of, um, you know, assassinations, political movements, sexual revolution, cultural revolution. Um, so that's what I set out to sort of um, document in a, in a fictional way. And I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to ride down to the river? 
Well, I think more than starting with characters, it was just a sense that, you know, it's a conceit to think that my upbringing or my coming of age is any more interesting or, or uh, you know, valuable uh, than any others. Everybody has their story. But I just, I did feel like as a writer, I did want to document this era. Uh, and and the memory, somebody asked me at a reading the other day, you know, didn't you have to research all of this and look back and get the names? And, and I, you know, I really didn't. It's, the memories are so visceral for me uh, that it's all still there. Um, and so I think really more than character driven idea, it was an idea to just sort of follow uh, some characters that, you know, in the beginning, I had no idea really who, who they would be, but through this time and see sort of all of these changes and dichotomies that, you know, er that sort of evolved over these five, six years when, you know, you were just looking at these uh, headbutting ideas of war and peace and, you know, vulnerability and power and, um, you know, freedom and yet feeling sort of cloistered in some ways. And uh, all of these sort of different things just swirling around, I just thought it was something that I needed to do as a writer. Well, I'm curious because I was going to ask you if you had done any research, and I completely understand um, if the memories were still vivid. But I'm curious did did you find as you were writing that that other memories surfaced about that time period? For sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I will say the one thing I had to do, not so much the actual name. You know, I remember names and places and faces. The chronology was something I had to, I had to sort of keep a chart because, you mm -hmm. know, I, there was so much going on and things were happening at such a rapid pace that I, I used, you know, I would say, oh, did that, you know, was that before the march, the big march, or was that the, the march that wasn't so big and was that before the, <laughs> you know, the Cambodia or, you know, so I did have to do a certain amount of research on that. Um, but certainly it was, you know, among other things, a, a very volatile time for me as a, as a teenager and my siblings and I were here, you know, going to a large uh, urban public high school. And we, you know, uh, for the most part, we felt it was wonderful. We had all this freedom and, you know, very diverse sort of situation. Um, but it was a rocky time not to romanticize it, you know, and certainly within my family, you know, which to this day, we're a very tight knit family. But uh, it was, it was, there were a lot of, there's a lot of headbutting and, you know, sort of, uh, straying away from one another, you know, in later years, of course, you have second chances to come together in different ways, but yeah, it brought up a lot of, you know, very, both good and bad emotions as I relived it. Sure. So what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing fiction? Well, it's, it's not. It's not that interesting, but it's actually not that usual because I didn't really start writing until I was 30 years old. I was always a, you know, a book lover and a word lover and uh, graduated with actually in French literature from college. Um, so I was always an avid reader. Um, I got a job up in Vermont in my late 20s teaching in a, in a very small town Um had a lot of more time on my hands. And I just started, you know, I don't know where the seed came from really, but I just 
started having notebooks everywhere I went and jotting down things. I had a little VW bug. It was the most frustrated <laughs> back in the day, and I would pull over to the side of the road and start writing. Uh, was, a couple of years after that, I moved back to Cambridge, and um, that's when I began in earnest to uh, start writing short stories and sending them out one by tedious one, waiting for answers. And um, it was it was quite a process, but. You know, for for people who are doing this now, uh, you, back in those days, which was say just the beginning of the '80s, when you sent out a story to a literary magazine, most places had a uh, policy of no simultaneous submissions, which meant that you were really, you know, if you were keeping the integrity of the system, you were only supposed to send that story out to one place at one time. And that meant often you could wait for six months, eight months. Um, they could lose it and never get back in touch with you. So I sort of made the decision I was not going to follow that rule. And, you know, I understood there might be consequences for me, but um, I just started sending them out to a few pl places at a time, you know, feeling like I'm 30. You know, of course, back then I thought that was so old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time for this. Um, but I did do that. And I, I really think had I not chosen to do that, I might not have, uh, started, you know, placing these stories in the magazines. And I'm curious, do you remember the experience of when you, um, got your first acceptance letter? I do. It was quite wonderful. I'd <clears throat> been to Mexico on a vacation and written a story that was titled Limes, <laughs> It, it was not my best story, um, and it didn't even get included in my collection. But but the first line was, uh, everywhere I go in Mexico, I am offered limes. And there's a beautiful <laughs> – so it got accepted by the Boston Globe magazine, which back in that day um, did feature short stories. Sadly, that's no longer true. Um, but it was, a, it was a wonderful day, and um, Doug Flutie was on the cover of the magazine that – <laughs> and that that won't mean anything to most people, but he was a he was a very beloved and uh, famous uh, football player. So um, yes. I um, felt very privileged and lucky that he was on the cover of where my story appeared. But it was it was a <laughs> wonderful great. feeling. Yeah, it was great. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, what was your writing process when you were working on Down to the River? 
when you started the book, did you do much outlining? Did you have a sense of the the storyline? How did that work for you? I didn't. I'm, I'm not a good outliner. I, it scares me to have to make it all be neat and tidy. I can't. I just mm-hmm. can't do that. And in fact, you know, it never is. I'm sort of not a beginning, middle, end person. And I think that's unsatisfying to some readers because some people really like an end. You know, they like a, a resolution. And I, my life just hasn't played out that way. So I'm unfortunately, my characters <laughs> sometimes <laughs> share that same fate. Um, but I did, as I say, have to uh, really go back and get the timeline straight. Um, for any number of reasons, one of which was um, my character, Henry, uh, is I, I needed the book to take place during a time when there were a few years when the draft lottery came came back and it was a random selection. You know, it was just based on your birthday. And so for just a couple of years, there was a very real threat for boys at that time who just drew a random number of, and wherever their birthday fell, that was, you know, they, that was their assigned number. And then they would call them up. They would say, well, okay, numbers one through, you know, 40 or whatever the needs were at the time. So, um, you know, things like that, I had to be careful to get that straight. Um, so that had the book been set two years later, the threat wouldn't have been real because by then the war was winding down. And even if you drew a number, they weren't they weren't taking you know people anymore into the draft. So, um, in terms of the story arc, and again, I, you know, I'm I'm not a heavy plot story uh, writer, but mm-hmm. um, I pretty much knew you know how it would unfold. Um, somebody asked uh, sort of the same question, and I think the interesting thing for me was. Along the way, uh, the characters who, you know, sort of in the beginning, you're the boss of the characters and you tell them what to do. And then as, you know, as you really develop them on the page and in your your head and your psyche, they will start making decisions for you or for the book that as the author, you might not have anticipated that, you know, that sounds a little corny or whatever, but, but it's really true. That if, as you grow with the character, you know, you say, okay, well, you know, in my experience, that argument that kid had with her mother, you know, would have gone this way. But now, you know, look at this character has developed this sort of stubborn streak uh, of a certain kind that you didn't have. And I, I think she would have, she would have answered that differently, you know? So that's, that's really the fun part is you just don't have you know, six characters in mind in a situation and you kind of plow through it, it is sort of um, sort of a, quote, joint effort, which, and no pun intended there because of the era, but um, it's, you know, it, it's fun. That part of it's fun. And believe me, a lot of it's not fun. So, <laughs> Sure. Well, are you working on another novel now or short stories? Well, yes. Um, somebody asked if this was my pandemic book. Well, it wasn't actually. This book got accepted right at the beginning of the pandemic, which, uh, you know, it it actually was good luck for me because um, the poor people whose books came out during the pandemic, you know, none of this was in place and everything was canceled. And, you know, so they they really sort of got the short end in terms of getting getting word about the book out there. Um, But uh, so this was this was already done. But um, I did. 
go back to another novel it, during the pandemic, which I'm now pretty much finished with, which was my attempt to write something a little more commercial. Now, I don't know if that's possible for me, but <laughs> I gave it my best <laughs> shot. I wanted it to be something sort of more of a romp, you know, more relatable, a, a sort of a lighter read. Um, and we'll see. I don't know. You know, it's it's sort of a <laughs> tried and true, maybe stale idea about a, a woman in her 50s who sort of, you know, 25, 30 years after raising a family and going through a divorce, which was my case, as with many, many other people, sort of goes out on the front lines again, you know, it was sort of dazed and confused and trying to navigate that whole world, but in a humorous way, you know, but that was, that was my, my try. So certainly not any new idea, but, you know, hope I've been able to come up with a, a few fresh angles for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I know that you've taught writing. What writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Well, um, you know, be persistent. It's, I think, you know, to really uh, move forward as a writer, it's it's so tough. And, and, you know, there are many, many professions and ideas are, are tough to plow through, but you, you have to be persistent you, and you have to, you know, you don't have to have a tough skin, but you have to look at the the whole situation and understand and not take it personally. It's very hard, you know, it's not fun to read somebody say, this is, you know, people, I've heard people on Amazon say, one star, this was so boring, I couldn't even get through it. You know, that doesn't feel good. But that's one person's opinion, you know, it's one out of six billion people's opinion. So it's up to you to, you really have to have faith in the work. And when you, you you pull your chair back and and you say, I think that's okay, I think that's pretty good. You know, I think it's helpful to, to be in uh, writers groups because I didn't do too many, but I was glad of the ones I did because you get sort of a group consensus. A lot of times, you you know, you're just feeling like, oh, yeah, well, that person doesn't like this kind of stuff. And, you know, <laughs> but if you if you examine things more closely and, you know, if you get four out of eight people who say that a scene just didn't work for them, you know. And, and with giving reasons why, then that's something to listen to and to reevaluate in, you know, in light of, um, you know, how, how strongly you felt about it. So if you come away saying, yeah, you know, I think maybe they have a point, then that's good. And if you come away saying, you know, no, that, that was important, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance that I'm right about keeping it that way. So I think it's really helpful to have support as long as you, as long as it's not, the the chemistry of the group is really important. Sometimes you just get people bashing each other. But if right. you look around a bit, you know, I think you can find a good group and, you know, people come and go. And it's just, it's, it's you know, a commitment that somebody makes to, to sticking with you and reading the work and, and taking a, a, a good serious look at it without, you know, even if it's not a genre, say, that you're, you know, crazy about. Um, and th- you could do that. You know, anybody can do that and, and find what's what's good or relatable there. So um, just keep at it. Don't get discouraged. And if you're sending it out, you know, send it out. Just send it out. Keep sending it out and don't get discouraged. You know, in, in the case of Down to the River, you know, you hear these stories, hundreds of people 
turned it down. <laughs> and, you know, you're looking for one person who gets it and who has, sure. who's in that position to make it happen. So uh, just, you know, give it the good fight. That's great. Keep the faith, well, baby, what, we used to say. Keep the faith. <laughs> say that again? I didn't hear Keep you. Keep the faith. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, well, you know, I go through periods of reading a lot and not reading a lot, and I'm sort of in the latter right now. Um, lately, um, let's see, I, I loved A Little Life by Yana Yanagahara. It's a wonderful novel. Mm -hmm. um, Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. Um, a very strong writer, whether you like her style or not, is Je Jennifer Egan. She wrote uh, Welcome to the Gloom Squad, which is kind of an um, off-putting name, I've always thought. But it's a, it's a superb novel. Um, you know, I like the old, the old classics, too. I, I read all, you know, the Austin and Jane Austen and, uh, it, you know, Jane Eyre and... Um, Love all of those things. What else have I read recently? Yeah, I don't. I I don't read a lot of male authors, and I, and I sometimes think that's really not good. You really should read more. You know, it's <laughs> as if I'm saying that their work isn't wor worthy or something, which of course is not true. Um, but um, you know, they're they're wonderful writers. But I, I think those are the ones that sort of stick out recently. Oh, and of course, Elena Ferrante. I don't know if you got into her books, but the Neapolitan novels she wrote are right. just staggering. I mean, again, whether you like it or not, give this person credit. They are just uh, talk about, you know, creating a world for your readers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your short stories and your novel down to the river? Oh, great. Well, thank you for asking. I have a website and um, I made it myself. I'm very proud of it. So um, I, I really wanted to learn how to make it so that I would be able to update it, you know, frequently because I, I knew how frustrating it would be to have to rely on somebody else to do that. So my it's my name, Anne Whitney Pierce, um, E on the end of Anne. Sometimes people forget that or, you know, think of it differently. So it's simply AnneWhitneyPierce.com. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Anne Whitney Pierce, author of the new novel, Down to the River. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Anne, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. It was a pleasure. Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Hi, it's Jeff, host of the podcast. My latest author interview will be up in just one moment. I'm not going to ask you to buy anything. I'm not going to ask you to go and review the podcast. What I am going to do is take just one brief moment and ask you to recommend the podcast to just one friend. If you're a writer or if you're someone who just loves books and you love this podcast and the interviews that I do, all that I ask is that you recommend the podcast to just one friend. Thanks a lot. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.